Can we give God some honor to this morning and praise? Yes. He truly, truly deserves our praise and our worship. Um, I want to say, um, Pastor, again, uh, thank you for last week's message about our body, soul, and spirit. Um, you didn't know it, but the Holy Ghost was in it. Um, it, it was something that I was going to put in our message, but because you preached it, I deleted it. Uh, <laughs> amen. <laughs> and uh, was actually able to shorten the message because God used you in such a mighty way. And I want you to know um, in front of these folks, man, that I love you. And you are my brother, man, from the bottom of my heart. And I will always, always cherish our relationship unto all of you. Uh, good morning and praise the Lord. I'm so glad to be here. And for my sister Allie over there working on the PowerPoint, all I do is send her a message and then she does her creative thing and make me look good. <laughs> and so uh, I bless you, sister, for the work that you do and all of you uh, who contribute in such a real and a powerful way uh, this weekend vac vacation Bible school. It was a tremendous week, I understand. And to God be the glory for everything that he does. Uh, in and through us. As always, there is a word from the Lord as we go to the throne of grace and prayer. A most gracious and all-wise God, as we come as humble as we know how, understanding that the preaching hour has arrived, Father, that we ask that you would use your servant in a mighty and glorious way that you might, your son might be lifted up and then somebody might say, what must I do to be saved this morning? Oh, God, just allow me to decrease and you increase. And may the words of my heart and my mouth and my mind be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. Oh, my Lord, my strength and redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I know y'all saying, Pastor, your voice sounds funny. I've been fighting a little cold all week, so it's kind of messing with my throat. But um, with the help of God, we will make it through this morning. Amen. Amen. Our word this morning comes out of the 12th chapter of Romans, verses 1 and 2. I'm reading it in the New King James, and it reads, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. I'm going to talk, teach, and preach from the big idea, what is God's will for my life? Anybody ever ask that question? What is God's will for my life? Am I inside of the will of God? Am I by myself? Nobody else asks God if they're inside of his will. <laughs> Uh, we, we want to know, what does God really want from me? Does God care about every little choice that I make? Remember when growing up in school, how we used to say the Pledge of Allegiance of the flag? Uh, it was a reminder for us that we were citizens of the United States of America. If there was and if there could be a, a pledge for a Christian allegiance, it would be Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, because it would serve as a reminder that we are citizens of God's kingdom, God's heaven. And so under the urging of the Holy Ghost, we will explore the sometimes confusing issue about God's will. I, I wish I was one of those chosen folk, uh, you know the ones who always seem to know God's will uh, for their life and for yours as well. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they get visions and words of wisdom. Uh, there's, uh, they seem to have an open door to heaven. I'm going to tell you right now up front, that ain't me. There is nothing magical in the question about God's will. Sorry, there's no open or shut door. There's no holding, no moist finger in the air to detect the move of the Spirit. And I'm not discounting the move and the work of the Spirit at all. I'm just suggesting that God has already given us access to what we need to make life's, most of life's moral decision. God really let, rarely lets us know the future uh, and, that, and he has a reason for doing that because if we knew the future, then we would uh, use our own uh, natural power to accomplish it. We would use our own flesh and our own human power. And God doesn't want us to accomplish his will that way. He wants us to depend upon him and allow him to bring about his, his glory in our life. And, and what we will accomplish then will honor him and enable us to reach others through Christ. How many of you in the house this morning are willing to be honest that if you knew the lottery tickets in advance, what would you do? Go buy a lot of tickets. So God has a reason for not letting us know uh, what God's will is for our life. God is not trying to hide his, his will from us. He wants to reveal it. In fact, he already has given us many directions in his word. Watch this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Listen, we are to give thanks in all circumstances. Watch this. It's in the text. For this is God's will for you. See, we are to give God glory and thanks regardless if things are going well or if things are going bad. That's why Paul said in the word, I learned how to be abound and abased and always give thanks to God in all things. And guess what, brother? We don't have to guess if that's something God wants us to do. He stated it right here in the book and said, it is the will of God that you give thanks in every situation that you experience and run into in your life. Is there any help in the house this morning? Now, I'm not talking about moral decisions. You know, stuff that God has already made clear in his word. For example, when we are considering God's will, we ought to start in the place that whatever we're considering isn't something that the Bible already forbids. For example, the Bible forbids stealing. So since God has clearly spoken on the issue, we know it's not his will for us to be bank robbers. We don't have to pray about it. We don't have to uh, fast and think about it. God does not desire us to be bank robbers. Listen, if you're trying to think about starting your own business and you think the best way to do that is embezzle money from your employer, guess what? That's a moral decision. And I know the Bible's already been clear on that one as well. Listen, most of us have trouble with non-moral decisions. That's the stuff that's fuzzy in the middle that paralyzes us into inactivity. For, for young folk, it might be what college might I go to? Which one should I choose? When should I get married and to whom? And for us, it might be a career choice or path that we might make. What choice, what church do I join? Do I buy a new car or a used car? Should I move to a new city or town or should I buy a house? We should make sure that whatever we are considering, will glorify God and help us grow spiritually. Can you hear me this morning? Amen. See, we need to ask ourselves, are we truly seeking the kingdom of God first? Is it our highest priority? Often it isn't, and we know that. 
Look, remember what Jesus said about the kingdom of heaven? He said it's like a man who discovers a treasure in a field and sells everything he has to buy it. We ought to make sure that our priorities are lining up with God's kingdom and not just that of our own. If we delight ourselves in the Lord, we don't never have to worry about messing up God's eternal will for our life. Listen, God is not standing around if you make a mistake with a tase you and to tase you if you're getting it wrong. Listen, here's, here it is in a nutshell. To know God's will, it must agree with Scripture. Anybody surprised this morning? See, our scripture text this morning is a reminder to the believer that we must get inside of the will of God and that God has to become a priority in our life. And once we put ourselves inside of God's will, then guess what? We'll start living out his will. Amen. Listen, this is talking, not, talking about nothing less than a full commitment to God. That's what we're talking about today in the text. See, Paul writes this letter to Rome to the first Christian church in Rome. Paul hadn't even visited Rome yet, but yet he knew at the time that he wrote this letter, there were already many Christians in Rome long before he even arrived. And so Paul knew that there were Gentiles as well as Jewish Christians who were already a member of the Lord's church, but they were living, watch this, they were living outside of the will of God. They looked like and act like folk of the world and not believers. And so Paul reaches out uh, from prison where he was in prison for two years in Rome, but yet he was able to preach and teach. And so Paul then appeals to all of these Christian brothers and sisters in Rome, and he was reminding them that God has shown them great love to all of them and that they should, so, should be so grateful that God has extended this great mercy toward them, that they would be so grateful that, that then they would present their bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. God, what a powerful appeal for us. Listen, in the text, Paul says, I beseech you. You know what beseech means? It means to beg somebody for something, to ask for something in the most serious, in an emotional way to do something. And so here it is. Paul is begging the believers to dedicate themselves without reservation unto God and that the believer is to be devoted and to devote everything to the dedication and the worship of God and service. And see, Paul says, why should you do that? He said, because God has been so merciful to you. Listen, mercy in the text means he, it is to be shown to someone undeserved. They have been shown the kindness and compassion of God. The particular mercy in which the apostle refers to here are for those who have already accepted and experienced and received the mercies of God for the forgiveness of sin. See, he proves that all of us are born under the nature of sin and have no claim to God. But yet God has shown us great mercy by giving us his son and the pardoning of our sins. Those of us who have received Jesus Christ as Savior, we experience the fruits and the mercies of God every day. And if we want to understand God's will, then we must give ourselves over to God. All that we are, all that we have, and all that we do. Listen, it is not always easy to be cognitive of the mercies of God because we take so much for granted. We think because we woke up this morning, it was because our alarm clock went off. 
It was the finger of love of God that touched you this morning and woke you up. We think and take it for granted that we have the ability to put one foot in front of another. If you want to know just how merciful God is, you know that breath you just took, it was because of him and not yourself. We experience his mercies every day. And we must be reminded of who we are. We ought to be reminded what we are and what we have in his son. I hear your church. Thank you this morning, Stephanie, for asking me. Well, who are we, Pastor Jeff? I'm glad you asked. Sister, listen. We are the children of God with all of the power of God working on our behalf. Where we are, we are in this world, but we're not of this world. We are of the kingdom of God, and we now have died to the dominance of sin in our life. What do we have? We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have Jesus at the right hand of God making intercessions for us. Listen, we have all of the power of God ready to come to our aid. Do I get some help in here? And, you know, sometimes the best motivation for folk is for them to understand that if I put in all of this work, there's some benefit and reward on the other end. You know what I'm talking about. I go to work every day, not necessarily because I love my work, but I know as long as I go to work, I got a paycheck at the end of the day. There's something waiting on me. I got some motivation to get up every day because my kids got to eat and I got to buy some food. So I got a little bit of motivation and what we have to believe and think as believers in God that we have a motivation that we got a mansion that's not made within hands that is in glory that is waiting for us who serve the Lord. Can I get some praise up in here? <laughs> Hallelujah. The mercies of God are overflowing in our lives. This is the reason why we need to devote ourselves because of his tender mercies and compassions. It is like what a father shows to his most difficult child that he is easily persuaded to forgive their sins. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 24, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. If we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, presenting our bodies is a metaphor that is taken from the sacrificial system that God had installed. That in the Old Testament, a person would make an offering. He would go out and look at his flock and he would pick out the most choice of the herd and he would bring it to the altar and present it there for an atonement of his sins. We are encouraged to give up ourselves in the spirit of sacrifice, to be sold solely the Lord's property. The, the offering was burnt holy and there was no part of it that was devoted for any other person or thing except the dedication of God. And that's what we are to do. We are to present our bodies to God for his complete service. And nothing else has more control, more power, uh, more obsession than doing what God has called us to do. And so Paul is not writing about death here. Paul is writing about life. He said we're a living sacrifice. It is opposite of those dead sacrifices. He explains how Christians should live in this world. We should use every part of our body in a manner that pleases God. The sacrifice 
was a vital part of ministry and worship of God. And it's the same way for us. Those who sacrifice themselves to the Lord will be a witness and he can use you to carry his word to his people. God requires a sacrifice on our part. In the case of an animal, it was slain, it gave its very life. It means that we as Christians are to give our life to Christ without reservation. We are to give up control of our lives. And I hear you control freak because that's me. It's hard for us to give up control and power of our own life and let anybody direct it other than me. But we need to give ourselves over to God. And we are to point out that God wants us to give ourselves over to him, to put our hands in him and allow him to use us as he desires. The sacrifice is an offering. It's something that that we do as an act of worship and thanksgiving of dedication of our part to God. It is a total and absolute of giving oneself up without holding anything back. A living sacrifice. We're to use our feet to go where God tells us to go. We're to use our hands to help people in need. With our ears, we are to listen to people's problems. With our mouths, we are to speak an encouraging word to people and tell them the good news about Jesus. We can't sacrifice our body today and take our bodies back tomorrow. In Hebrews 13 and 21 says this, and Jesus will equip you with every good thing for doing what? His will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, whom be glory forever and never. Amen. We are talking about a total commitment, a strong and being strongly devoted to God. The Bible says we're to be holy, referring to the sacrifice required by law. No sacrifice could be made to God with a spot or blemish. It, it was offered without any defect. It was regarded as holy and appropriately set apart and consecrated to God. How many of you know that saints merely mean to be set apart? To be consecrated unto God. Our sacrifice is to be free from sin. It is not to be divided or broken or a polluted service. We are to consecrate ourselves to God, the best of our faculties, our vigor, our mind, our time, our talent, and our treasure. It is our best affection in our heart and in our lives that we give unto God. I'm in the Bible, Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 says this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? Now, if we be dead in Christ, we believe that we shall live with him. That means that we are acceptable unto God. Acceptable means well-pleasing, approving, and extremely satisfying to God. It is intended of the offerer in such a way that what he offers and himself will be well-pleasing to God. That as he searches our hearts of the surrendered person in their bodies, the whole man, the mind, the body, the soul, and the spirit will be given to God. 
and we are no longer considered our own. We are the entire, entire property of our maker. If we do what is acceptable unto God, we will receive the highest reward. It will matter little what people think about you if God approves of you and what you do in your service. And here's what Paul says in the text. He says, it's the most reasonable thing you can do. When you think about what God has laid on the line for you, while you were unlovable, while you were full of sin, that God himself put on human flesh, born by a virgin named Mary in a manger. And he died as he hung on that old rugged cross from the third to the ninth hour. And he was whipped and beaten for our sins, our healing, and our freedom, and our liberty. Paul says, listen, it's your reasonable service. It's the least you can do for all that he has given unto you. Service means worship. It means homage unto God. Your reasonable service. Nothing can be more important to us than the work of God. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. We are the property of the Lord by right and redemption. And it would be unreasonable for us to live our lives wicked and not to glorify him in strict obedience to his will. It is acceptable unto God. Our reasonable service, our conversion, our sanctification means of a renewing of a mind, a change of mind. It's the process of sanctification, which means we die more and more to sin and live more and more to righteousness as we allow God to do his renewing work in us until it's perfected on the day of glory. Paul encourages us in the text, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Watch this, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Conforming to this world means Christians must change. The word conform comes from the root word schema, which means fashion. It means literally to be molded and stamped in according to a pattern. And we were born into sin, shaped in iniquity. We were forced to be born in a pattern. And we must not conform to that pattern. We are literally, it literally means to change an outward form. It is how, as we age, our looks begin to change from day to day and year to year. It's how we dress for one way for work and we dress another way when we go out on the evening on the town. We are to be transformed. We are to be changed. We are not to conform to the things of the world. And Jesus gives this startling example in the word in Mark chapter 9 where he takes his three favorite disciples up to a mountain, Peter, James, and John. And when he gets them there, that Jesus himself becomes transfigured right before their eyes. Listen, he shows them, he peels back his humanity and he shows them the glory that is waiting for him after his resurrection. It's the same glory that waits for you and I when he comes back and cracks the eastern sky and we will reign with him forever, that we will be transformed and changed into the very image of God. Is there anybody happy about that this morning? It is so easy for people to copy 
what other people are doing. However, we as Christians should only copy God. We belong to God and not the world. We should behave differently than others who do not believe. What we think will affect what we do. When we began to think differently, we will begin to live differently. We will begin to look at our money and understand it belongs to God and we won't waste it or use it selfishly. We will begin to have a different opinion about sex. We will be careful to choose what we read and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us as we try to please God. We will obey God and we will become a reflection of what God is. Then we will change and be like him. Listen, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says this. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is spirit, watch this in the text, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. He's talking about transformation. We are to be transformed, changed completely and usually in a good way. We're to be changed in composition and structure. We're to be changed in character and condition to be converted. We're to change our outward appearance. In the Greek, it's metamorphosis. The, re the, the root word, morphos, it means the very real nature of man and his essence. We're to be what God has created us to be. As Christians, we are new creatures in the law. The saved man has a new nature, the very nature and indwelling of God. He is now has the ability to serve the Lord and overcome worldliness. Second Corinthians 5 and 17 says this, therefore, if any man in Christ, he is what? A new creature. And all things pass away and behold, all things become new. We are transformed from living a life of sin and worldliness and, and selfish pleasures and goals to a life that the Lord would be pleased. It requires us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly and righteously and godliness, godly in this world. First John 4 and 4 says this. It talks about your status, your change, who you are right now in Christ Jesus. You are of God, little children, and I have overcome them because, watch this, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So I'm asking you a question this morning. What stage are you in your Christian transformation? Are you staying in the larva stage, or the caterpillar stage, or are you a butterfly? Where are you on Christ's growth chart? Are you renewed in your mind? How do we renew our minds? Thank you for asking. When we receive Jesus Christ into our lives, we become filled with his Holy Spirit. Christ changes the believer's mind to focus on God and the things of God. The believer's mind is to be renewed, changed, turn around, and regenerated. 
Most of us have cell phones, smartphones in particularly. And every now and again, you will get um, an update to tell you to download your new operating systems. And if you're anything like me, you hit remind me later. Because <laughs> I just figured out the one I got now. And they'll prompt you again to download your new operating system. And I hit ignore again. And before long, if I hit ignore enough, I'll start having problems with my operating system. It won't operate and function the way it's intended to because I keep refusing the update. Listen, for us as believers, we have been transformed and changed and we're to download our new operating system and it's different from the one we used to operate under and now we're operating under the, the leading and the guidance of the Holy Ghost. And the minute you keep ignoring God, and later God, not right now, I still got a few things to work out. You will never be transformed and changed. Your mind will never be renewed. It isn't until you accept God's will for your life to begin to serve him. That's right. Amen. We ought to saturate ourselves in godly thinking. We are to read the word of God more than read it. We should absorb it and interact with God's word. We are to saturate ourselves with godly thinking and only exposing ourselves to godly writings and teachings and influences. We're to meet regularly with friends who share our commitment. It's a reminder us that we need to wait on the Lord, that we will begin to discipline our lives by renewing our mind, by getting away from the hustle and bustle and distraction of life. Turn off the television, turn off the radio. I know I'm gonna make some young folk real mad. Turn off your cell phone, shut down your computer, unplug from social media for a while and hear from God. Paul says if you do all of the things that I suggest you do in the text, that you present your bodies to God, that you renew your mind, he says you'll be able to prove what the will of God is. You will begin to live out the things that the Bible says you have in your life. Listen, Paul ain't talking about finding or discovering something. He said you will be able to prove the will of God and that the word of God is absolutely true when we begin to allow God to use us and, and put us in a mold of obedience to his general will, then God will reveal what his, uh, uh, his specific will is for our life. But listen, if we don't submit to God's written will, what's in the book, there's no need to ask him his specific will. So you have to be trusted over a few things for he can trust you and make you a ruler over many. I wish I had some help in here. I'm almost done. You can go home and fire up your barbecue grill and heat your chicken up. <laughs> Listen, the way to know God's will for your life is to listen to that still, small voice on the inside of you. The burden of the call upon your life will outweigh your ambition. If the Lord wants you to do a specific work for him, he will give you the burden of that work. Your heart will keep drawing you to that specific work. And as you draw closer to accomplishing God's will for your life, the burden will become heavier to accomplish it. And if you run away from God's will, 
you will always come back because the burden will not go away. The burden has love attached to it. And of course, when we pray for his will to be known in our lives, he will tell us. If we read in our Bibles in the 40, 143rd chapter of Psalms, it says this in verse 10, teach me to do your will for you are my God and may your good spirit lead me on level ground. Come on, Stacy. Listen, Jesus himself, our example, was fixed on nothing else other than to do the will of God. I'm in the Bible. Jesus put aside his own interest. And we will read in John in the sixth chapter, the 38th verse. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. God sent his son down through 42 generations. to die for us. And we ought to be so grateful and so thankful for what he did for us that we literally ought to be offering up our lives to him to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for caring enough about me when I didn't have enough sense to care for myself. That you would give me such a gift. Your only son to be beaten for me. Wouldn't it be reasonable then for me to serve him? church are open for you to receive him. If you need some help with that, we got folk here to help you pray through that. Maybe like me, you like that old mule stubborn and got his own will. And it takes a lot to break that old will of that mule, don't it? And some of them lumps on my head it's because I didn't yield soon enough. Some of them whippings I got for walking contrary to his will and his way. <laughs> I remember growing up as a youngster, and my mother probably had to be the best whooper in the world. <laughs> but I know every one of them whippings my mama gave me, I deserved it. And she whipped me because she loved me. She used to tell me, and this is the truth. She said, the reason I'm busting you in the head so the police don't have to bust you in the head in the streets. She knew the danger 
that she was keeping me from. Listen, our Lord and Savior knows the dangers that are out there for you when you're outside of his will. And he's saying, allow me to come in and sup with you and change the course of your life. So as this wonderful praise band plays and sings, if you would allow God to just minister to you in your heart, and would you receive him this morning? Will you submit to him this morning and put your will on the back burner and put God's will on the forefront of your life? He'll change you, and he's calling you right now.